The most recent cattle on feed report contains some unexpected news. How are markets reacting and preparing for what could be several more months of COVID-related backlogs and disruptions? That's today on Field Posts. weekly podcast by DTN Progressive Farmer that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. On one of Field Post's very first episodes in April, we took a hard look at how the global pandemic was affecting cattle markets. Between meatpacking plant closures, an executive order, and national concern about the availability of meat in the supermarkets, the issues have evolved over the past two months. So we're connecting again with DTN Shaley Stewart for analysis on what's happened since April, where we are now, and how she and other cattle producers are thinking about and planning for the rest of 2020 and the new year. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job, especially this time of year. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities and easily make an offer with help from the newly enhanced free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your smartphone or mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusinesses to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress as well as enter and track inventory. Confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free on the App Store. And now, back to the show. DTN Livestock Analyst Shaylee Stewart has been watching cattle markets closely since long before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, she's breaking down the data and analyzing the broad trends that are not only affecting markets right now, but are likely to continue affecting them in the future. June 19th marked a new release of the Cattle on Feed report, And Shaylee, I wonder if you could give us some insight on what that report included, how producers should be thinking about it from month to month, and what stuck out to you in this particular report. Oh, I'm glad that you asked, Sarah, because the cattle on feed report is something that always lingers around our industry because we know it's a relevant report that applies to cattlemen truly of every sector and can affect them. But for the most part, I I chuckle because so many people know about it, but not very many of not very many producers know its true meaning and content and why it's important. So I want to get really broad and then we'll get narrower as we continue this conversation. But let's just start with understanding what the cattle on feed report is, the different components within it, and then let's talk about this latest report. So the June cattle on feed report that came out last week is a recap of what happened in May. So it's basically a it's basically a report that tells us how many cattle and calves are on feed, how many placements are in feedlots and how many cattle were marketed from feedlots to slaughter. And so I'm going to just really spend time being analytical and defining what those points are. So the cattle and calves on feed section, there's three main parts of the cattle on feed report. There's the cattle on feed, there's the placements, and there's the marketing. So let me first define what cattle on feed are. These are your steers and heifers that are fed a grain ration, silage, hay, or protein supplement for slaughter that are expected to produce a carcass that'll grade select or better. 
It does exclude cattle being backgrounded only for later sales as feeder or later placements in another feedlot. So that's the first category, Sarah. The second category is your placements. These, This is a very heavily watched category on the cattle on feed report. And it's typically the one that varies the most just because it's, 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 it's highly volatile to what's going on in our on our markets each and every week and each and every day. So placements are steers and heifers that are put into a feedlot, fed a grain ration, which will produce a carcass that is selector better and are intended for the slaughter market. So these are animals like, okay, you know what? My mom and dad, they went ahead and they weaned their calves and they went straight into the feedlot. You know, they might be those six to eight weights and they have the sole intention, sole intention of being fed a grain ration to be slaughtered later down the road in six to eight months. And then the other category is your marketings. And these are steers and heifers that were shipped out of the feedlots to be slaughtered. So the main category that people usually watch on these cattle on feed reports is your placement number. But interestingly enough, Sarah, that wasn't the number that folks needed to pay attention to this last go around. So on June's cattle on feed report, um, cattle and calves on feed were down slightly. And so whenever the cattle on feed report says the word slightly, it means that the percentage did not vary more than 1% or less than 1% compared to a year ago. And these reports are always compared to what happened the same month a year ago. So cattle and calves on feed were down slightly at 11.7 million head. Placements were down 1% at 2.04 million head. And marketings, pay attention here, Marketings were down 28% at 1.5 million head. And so what did we just define what marketings are? Marketings are your number of steers and heifers that were fattened and that were sent out of the feedlot to be slaughtered. So that makes sense, Sarah. I mean, given last month and the contingency that COVID-19 had on feedlots and how they weren't able to efficiently move cattle from, from feedlots to processing plants to get slaughtered because of the restrictions of COVID-19. It makes perfect sense why, why marketings were down 28%. And it's also noteworthy that that is the lowest May marketing since the report began back in 1996. That is the lowest marketing in 24 years. That, that holds some big implications moving forward. Now, when you're thinking, when you're taking that 28% number and, and you're looking through the rest of 2020 and you're looking at markets and, and how they might, you know, be interpreting that, what do you think are, you know, what's kind of your outlook for the rest of the year and, and how might that even impact, you know, decisions that, that ranchers are making into 2021? I feel so bad. I feel like I'm kind of kicking a dead horse when I talk about this, but it's the truth and it's and it's factual. And you know what? That's what my job is, is to speak transparency into the marketplace. And so this marketing's percentage down 28% at 1.5 million head, that is another thorn in our side of COVID-19 and really, really, really just speaks upon the number of cattle that are backed up in our system that will have to be processed later down the road that are that were supposed to be scheduled, you know, a month ago, now maybe two months ago, that are going to be hindering our market moving forward. So we know that throughout the summer, a lot of cattlemen call it the dog days of summer for the fat cattle market because fat cattle, they're hard to feed in the summer just because they don't want to eat. If it's 90 degrees and humidity is astronomical, fat cattle don't want to gain efficiently. And feedlots' biggest, biggest priority is, is efficiency. 
So throughout the summer, fat cattle just typically they, they regress in how they sell. You know, they, they, their prices start to weaken because there's so many of them throughout the countryside. And that's on a typical year, Sarah. That's not this year when we have the mass backlog of cattle because we weren't able to process as we needed to through the end of March, April and May. So it's it's really worrisome in the fact that we're going to have so many cattle that we need to be processed and we need to have be worked through. And then that also goes to affect our feeder cattle market, because as you know, this week, you and I were talking off air and we're really excited to be watching these feeder cattle markets because you know what, this is how most cow-calf producers get paid. And that's a lot of our customers. And so it's a big week for them. And, and it'll be interesting at the end of the day to see how those prices fall. But if we have a weakening cash cattle market, which we always typically do throughout this time, but given that it's even pressured more right now because of the backlog of cattle, it is extremely worrisome for our feeder cattle market as the, as the two kind of look at each other and, and work in sync. So if the fat cattle market is depressed and feeders are losing money because they're having to feed cattle longer, have nowhere to go with them, and the cattle aren't feeding efficiently, so they're seriously losing money every single day and selling them for less than a dollar now, you can promise yourself that they're not going to be excited or, or aggressive in their acquisition of feeder cattle. They're going to have to be very cautious about how they buy those cattle and where they get into them out. And if they're um, able to hedge them on the board, they're going to have to be extremely cautious. And so as a cow-calf producer, yes, that does make you extremely worried. I want to ask, you've spoken about it a little bit, but I want to dive into kind of that backlog. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about it for months. We've been really worried about it processing plants have started to kind of claw their way back to, you know, higher capacity or full capacity. They've a lot of reopened, you know, how are you keeping an eye on that backlog? And, and are you seeing hopeful signs that it might be being kind of worked back? Oh, that is a million dollar question. And I, I'm going to talk a couple different things here and let's just work through that. So number one, how am I keeping track of that? It is critical, absolutely critical that we watch where daily slaughter speeds are at. So what that means is that we need to know exactly how many cattle were processed each and every day. And then it's also important that we watch the weights on those cattle because you know what? Some of them have gone into feedlots and they've been they've been put on maintaining rations. Some of them haven't, you know, what have you. It's extremely important that we manage and monitor not only how fast cattle are going through the feedlots, but what, what, what are those cattle actually telling us in regards to their weight and their condition? Because we know that that affects the end consumer. So do I think that we're working through the backlog of cattle? You know what? We have had phenomenal slaughters the last couple of weeks. I mean, the previous week we were at 656,000 head. The week after that, I think we were around that 630 mark. You know what? We've been extremely aggressive. And typically, so long as our slaughters are above 600,000 head a week, yes, that is a week, then we're sitting pretty okay. But given the fact that we have so many cattle backed up, we have to be pressing above that 600,000 head a week mark. And honestly, even above 620,000 head in order to make a dent on these cattle. And then that's not to mention, Sarah, that we knew that coming into 2020, that we were going to have more cattle than normal, not, not including the backlog. So not only do we have more cattle, but we also have this backlog. So 
what I would really recommend for producers to do is, you know, I, I know that they're busy. I know that there are cattle to be worked and to be kicked out onto green grass. I know that there's water to be changed. I know that there's fences to be mended. But you know what? If you can spend some time just maybe once a week, maybe every Friday or every Monday, just kind of keeping track of where the slaughter uh, speeds and rates are and how the weights of those cattle are affecting the marketplace, that would be extremely advantageous. And there are USDA reports that you can just type into your search engine and they bring that right up. So that's extremely useful. And I think it'll be extremely um, important to continue to monitor as we work through this backlog of cattle. But I will be completely honest. This is not something that unfortunately we're going to get away from talking about in the next couple weeks, in the next couple months. It is going to take a significantly long time to process these cattle. Kind of in that light, I wonder how you're watching the demand side of this whole equation, you know, between exports and just the the de- increased demand kind of uh, among consumers. You know, summer is a big time for barbecues, of course, but but also just, you know, how COVID has affected people's buying habits. Are you optimistic about what you see on the demand side in terms of being able to help hit those higher processing numbers and, and help work through that backlog, you know, even if it takes several months? You know, I'll be completely honest with you. I was extremely worried when box beef prices were at all time record breaking highs. You know what, my job, even though I'm an optimistic person and I see sunshine every day, my job is to somewhat be a bear in the marketplace and to say, hey guys, if anything is gonna, if a screw is gonna break in this in this piece of equipment, here's where it's gonna be and this is why. My job is to present what could potentially happen in a negative light and to just be very factual and honest. And so when I was thinking about, you know, box beef demand and how consumers were dealing with high prices and you know what, nobody likes to go either if you're car shopping or if you're at the retail counter or if you're at Walmart or maybe you're buying a new pair of shoes, nobody likes to go somewhere to try to buy something and feel like it's out of their price range. You know, that makes you kind of feel crappy. You know, you're like, oh, dang it. I really wanted this nice. I really wanted this filet of steaks, but I cannot pay $120 for four steaks type thing. So I was worried about beef demand coming off of the astronomical box beef prices because consumers do get burnt and they get hurt through that. But what I will tell you is that the U.S. producers have done a fabulous job of making an elite product that consumers trust and that consumers desire. And I will say it has been absolutely phenomenal to see the amount of box beef uh, movement over the last two weeks. We have had um, vast movements. I mean, 200 loads a day. And and that is that's utterly phenomenal. And so I'm very happy that box beef prices have come back to a normal level and that they're kind of... Um, back to a level which consumers can enjoy throughout the summer. And so I know that kind of seems like a oxymoron to say, I'm so glad box beef prices are lower because as a producer myself, you would want to think that, hey, box beef prices are creeping higher. That's good. That means people are demanding beef and it's pushing prices higher. But unfortunately, in this last little season of what we saw, that wasn't the case of why prices shot higher. And they got to such an exuberant level that consumers were not able to afford the product. And most importantly, we need our consumers to continue to seek that beef and to continue to put it in front of their families through summer events, through, um, you know, camping in the mountains in the weekend, through having people over for grilling. So, you know, I think that moving forward, um, producers need to do an extremely good job of advocating for their 
for their product. And hopefully that'll help because there's a couple of things, you know, I made mention that we are seeing a vast movement of product leave, leave the, leave the shipping centers and get pushed out to retailers. And then obviously consumers are buying it quickly, but we need that to happen for the next, you know, two, three, four months. And so I hope that it's not just a, Hey, 4th of July is coming up here. So we want to be able to grill a little bit. We need that to happen all throughout the summer. So it's going to be very important that um, producers and hopefully your beef checkoff dollars and things of that nature will really advocate for that because that'll help us get through the backlog too if we're seeing that um, box beef movement continues to be very aggressive. I want to ask too, you know, you're you're a very data-driven person and, and your role is very data-driven. And I, I've, talking to some of the other analysts at BPN, you know, trying to figure out how to fit kind of pandemic data into our understanding of some of these markets seems like a real challenge. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how producers should be, you know, whether that's, whether it's data around, you know, um, in, infections among packing house employees or infections that might be affecting consumers or, you know, how do you, how do you fit COVID information into your analysis and, and how closely should producers be paying attention to, to some of those bigger trends that are happening kind of broadly in society? I think that's a good a good question, Sarah, and I'm glad that you asked it because that is my job. It is my job to be analytical and it is my job to watch data. And so, yes, I am most certainly watching how infections are um, popping up potentially through more packing plants. If there are new hot spots, if there is a second round of breakouts. But what I will also say is that we live in such a blessed and fortunate time. We are we have any information at the tip of our fingertips at any moment so long as we have cell phone service for the most part. And one thing that th- that's beautiful. I mean the advancements from my generation to my grandpa's generation are astronomical. But what I will also say in that is that it's dangerous. You know what, in order to make market decisions and in order to make um, analytical decisions, you need time, you need to process, you need to think about how that information is being construed to you. And if and if it is something that you need to react upon, because we, we so often see a headline and we have an emotional reaction and that turns into a business decision and a financial reaction. And that really isn't how it should be. You know, my job is to get every single bit and piece of information out to consume out to consumers and to customers. But, you know, in that I would really suggest um, educating yourself so that you can make informed decisions, but then also to not be reactionary because most good decisions that are made, whether it's for your personal and your family lives and aspects, or if it's financially and business driven, they aren't made irrationally. And so I would just really hope that consu- that producers and consumers alike are taking that information, digesting it, sitting on it and saying, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? And how do I, how am I going to react to this? A great segue there, because one of my last couple of questions that I wanted to check in on is is kind of your operation. I think it's really valuable to hear from your perspective. Um, you know, how are you thinking about this moment? You know, we're we're a couple months on from from the start of COVID, and and we have a kind of an unknown future ahead. You know, what what are you paying most closely attention to? What what are you? How are you planning for you know the end of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one? I'd love to just kind of hear how you're how you're approaching 
thinking about some of this stuff. Okay, well, that that's that's fun to talk about because Jimmy and I spend so much time talking about um, our operations. So we have registered Semangus cattle, but we sell females, we sell bulls, and we sell feeder cattle. And so in that, you know, we're we're relatively young in our operation, and so we've got to be very we have to be very strategic in the decisions that we make because we don't have forty years worth of worth of relationship at the bank. So we have to be very uh, conscientious about what's going on around us and how the decisions we make could affect our business. And so with that, we have I've been watching the feeder cattle market extremely close, and I'm excited to watch the sales today and, and see how they fare. But, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things is I am watching, number one, feeder cattle markets, because I think that they are going to be extremely volatile this year. And then number two, Hay is going to be an issue this year. My my dad raises a lot of hay, sells it across Montana, the northern regions, and into Texas and in the Panhandle in New Mexico on years where drought's really bad. And uh, he heard of some three hundred three hundred dollar a ton hay in in the Midwest just simply because of the backlog of cattle, and they are taking those cattle and putting them on maintaining rations. So that's more of a forage basis. And so my my big point is we really try to watch our input costs. And so we we run our cattle efficiently. We want them to work for us, not us work for them. And so we are very conscientious of prices. And so I'm watching the feeder cattle market because that not only affects how we're going to sell our steers this year, but also how aggressive bull customers are going to be next next spring. And then I'm also really watching the hay market. There's also um, something that producers might want to watch. And I and I put it in my commentary so you can find it there as well. But the crop progress report also talks about pasture and range conditions. And our country is dry. It is very dry. If, if you're the praying type of person, I really hope that you're praying for some rain for the entire United States, because I, I mean, this is just off of memory. So don't quote me on this. But the crop progress report showed that like at this time last year, so they have very poor to poor, they have good to average and they have excellent conditions and only about 40% of the, the nation's pasture and rangelands were in 40% um, good condition. So that's very worrisome as we move forward because then that also draws you to the conclusion that there may be some um, cow liquidation this fall. So that, that comes as twofold, Sarah. That could be a positive thing for someone who's in a buying endeavor if you're looking if you're interested in buying some cattle and you know what you see that hay prices are going to go up that there's not as much grass throughout the countryside and that feeder cattle prices could be could be weaker that sounds like a buyer's market but if you're on the selling side you're going to have to really you're going to have to sharpen your pencil you're going to have to be very mindful of your expenses and you're going to have to play smart because Part of weathering the storm in today's cattle market is knowing that the storm is coming. And so be prepared, be mindful, and have conversations. I promise you that whether you want to jump on the phone with me or whether you want to jump on the phone with your local sale barn or maybe it's your superior rep or your northern rep, people want to have conversations because they want our, our industry to thrive and to be successful and to be profitable because let's be honest, we are a small group of individuals. And so I, I really hope that people, like I said, you watch that feeder cattle market because it affects far more things than just feeder cattle. I would very much so watch um, the crop progress report and watch how hay prices are affected. And then I would be watching to see how many, how many dry cows and how many pairs are moving this fall just simply because of input costs. As you are looking around at, at the business you're building and the, and the industry you're a part of, is there what right now is kind of giving you optimism or giving you hope that, you know, after 
after COVID, after this moment in history, there will be more for you to build on? That is an awesome question. And you know what? I, my, my sentiments really come from looking at that older generation. And I'll just give you a quick story because it really summarizes my thoughts and my attitude. My grandma and grandpa, when they were in their later 20s, they had two children and they wanted to buy a place. They had, I believe it was 18% interest rates and it was on a balloon payment over five years. And my grandma and grandpa did it with, with cattle and with sheep and they were diversified. And so I think that if our, our older generation can survive 18% interest rates and in markets that were less than ideal, they're, they're, I know that times are tough right now. Believe me, Jimmy and I see it in our own finances and some of our own operations. We've had to get creative here, be mindful here and get strategic over here. But if there is a will, there truly is a way. And one thing, you know, I, I think it is so important to talk to the older generation because they really just do speak truth and wisdom to you. And, you know, when Jimmy and I were kind of talking about doing some of the things that we're doing, we, we you know, confided in my grandpa and asked him what his opinion was. And we're just really honest and, and open with him. And he said, I don't know why you're hesitant. He said, what, what's the problem if you fail? If you fail and, and it doesn't work out, you're going to end up no better than if you never tried. And that that really stuck that really that really stuck with me just because it's like, you know what, everybody's a worry to fail, but if you fail and and you never tried, you're you start at the same starting block. But if you if you go for it and you make advancements and you make and you make progression, at least you got somewhere better. So my my advice would just be um, prioritize what is truly important. Don't get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses and the fanciest, newest equipment. Be mindful, be diversified and have a heart that is willing to work harder than anyone else. You can follow Shaylee's analysis in detail in her sort and cold column, which you can read along with her other reporting anytime at DTNPF.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Shaylee Stewart. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And check back in next week for episode 11 of Field Post, where we'll talk again with Shaylee briefly about this week's sales, as well as diving into a new hot topic. Until then, remember... The future of farming is here. This episode is brought to you by DTN Haytimer. Hay and forage quality isn't just about yield. It also relies on the perfect weather window to ensure a good crop. Use DTN Haytimer, part of MyDTN, to quickly assess risk by viewing maps specifically designed to show circumstances affecting hay quality. Pennsylvania producer David Graybill said, quote, other weather forecasts were not accurate enough. As DTN Haytimer shows, it takes the right combination of drying to preserve the crop. I would guess we lost three to four times the value in crops that it would cost us to keep our DTN subscription for the year. DTN Haytimer is part of the MyDTN platform. Visit MyDTN.com to start a free 14-day trial.